Luke chapter 3 this morning. Uh, we've been working our way through the book of Luke in our new series called Believe, uh, looking at what can we learn and what can we believe about Jesus um, from these stories of his life and his ministry. And today we're going to keep going with that. So Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20 is where we're going to be this morning. If you need a Bible, there should be some hardback black ones there in the chairs around you. Feel free to grab one of those as well. Follow along with us. Um, this first story in chapter 3 is actually about John the Baptist, uh, primarily. And so we're going to look at him this morning and see what we can learn uh, about him and of Christ in this together. So um, I was recently I was recently talking with a friend about, um, about their teenager uh, learning to drive. They're kind of getting to that age, and they're getting ready for the driving test and getting all this stuff together. And it got me thinking back uh, about driver's test and that... Um, the, the road sign test. Do you guys anybody remember the road sign test? That you get, like, they don't give you any words. Sometimes they're not even colors. Right? It's just shapes. You've got to like, remember what the road signs are. And I was like, well, maybe we can just like, do a little review this morning just to kind of see where we're at with the road signs today and see how we could do on this. All right? So if, if you've been driving for a while, um, well, we'll just see. Okay? Like, let's, just, let's just no shame this morning. I'm just saying like, this is the thing. So here's the first. This will be an easy one. First one up. Everybody knows that one. I stop signs the easy one. Okay, now we'll go a little bit harder. How about this one? Merge. Okay, good. All right, you guys are on it. All right, we got some good drivers in our church. Um, how, how about a little trickier here? Yeah, okay, good. Now I got you on this one. How about this one? Okay, I, th- I think I heard three answers on that one. So I don't know that everybody was there on that one. This next one, I'm pretty sure nobody in St. Louis understands or knows how to do, including myself. What about this one? I never know which lane to be in. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, what's up with these crazy roundabouts? Like, all the arrows, they don't make any sense. This is, this is, I'm out on this, okay? But the one that I really want to touch on this morning is this last one. Give me this last one here. Okay, you turn, or sometimes we call it the turnaround sign, right? That's uh, what it's called in some places. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. This whole message this morning is simply about that. Turning around. The Bible calls it Repentance. That's what the word means. It's just turn around. Just go a different direction. Right? If I was to give you a definition this morning for repentance, it's something like this. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. And here's the real message that we need to understand this morning about repentance. That the path of salvation can only be walked through repentance. The path of salvation, the way to be saved, the path to God can only be found, can only be walked through the act of repentance. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning as we hear from John the Baptist. So start with me in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming baptism of, or baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall shall see the salvation of God. 
Let's pause there. First point this morning that you need to see from John the Baptist is this. Repent of your sin because salvation is here. Repent of your sin because salvation is here, right here, right now. That's what he's telling them. But before we jump into his message, look at this setup in verse 1, right? He says, in the 15th year of Tiberius, Pontius Pilate, Herod, and he starts naming all these guys, right? And, and there's, the reason that Luke is doing this is he is taking this next section of the story and he's rooting it in history again. He's giving us another historical marker to show us um, that this is a real story. These are a list of Roman rulers and Jewish rulers that are conformed by historians outside of the Bible, right? And so the purpose here is to show us that John the Baptist, the guy we're getting ready to talk about, that he was a real guy in real history, giving a message to real people like you and me. And that message still applies for us today as well. And so there's a couple people here in the list I think are worth noting, not so much for the story today, but for future study when we get deeper in the book of Luke. All right, so maybe just take like some, some side notes on these guys so you have this in your head for later. First, he names Pontius Pilate. Pilate is the same Pilate who's going to be the ruler that takes Jesus to the cross. He's the one who's going to put Jesus on trial and eventually send him to his death on Calvary. Already in power here at the beginning of his ministry. We also hear he talks about Herod. Now Herod can sometimes be a little bit confusing in the Bible because there's a couple different Herods. This is Herod Antipas, right? Uh, This is not Herod the Great, which was the one that we saw back in Luke chapters 1 and 2 that tried to kill Jesus when he wanted to kill all the the two-year-olds and under, right, like trying to get rid of them. That's Herod the Great. This is Herod Antipas, his son, who is now in power and ruling over the region of Galilee and the rest, and will be over the rest of Jesus' ministry time, okay? Then Then he comes to Annas and Caiaphas, and he calls them both high priest, which we know back then there was only one high priest officially, right? But high priest was kind of like a lifetime appointment, right? So at this point, Caiaphas was the, the reigning high priest. He was actually the one who was the legitimately the high priest at this time. But Annas was a previous high priest who was kind of retired, if you will, but still had a great influence and power in the region, in Jerusalem, in Judea, uh, in Judaism, rather. And so they both got the title of high priest, even though Caiaphas was technically in office, right? It's kind of like when our presidents like, get done with their four terms or eight terms. Even after they're done being in office, we still call them Mr. President, right? Because that's just kind of the thing. Same thing's happening here. So they were both considered to be high priests in that sense of the word. So this is the historical backdrop of the story of John. This is where he drops in to history, okay? And look what it says about John. It says, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah. Now that phrasing that Luke uses there is very specific and very on purpose because he's using the exact same type of language that was used to describe the prophets of the Old Testament, right? It was always so-and-so who was the son of so-and-so from this area. And so he's setting us up here to understand that John is a prophet of God, but not just any prophet. He's the first prophet of God in over 400 years, right? Prior to this, there was 400 years of silence where God wasn't speaking at all. He wasn't sending any prophets to the people, but now John's come, so God has something new to say. God's got a new message for his people that's going to come through John, because that is the purpose of the prophets. They were simply messengers. They were simply the mouthpiece of God. They didn't get to have their own opinions. 
They didn't get to come up with their own messages. They just simply repeated whatever God wanted to say. So whatever they said, that was the word of God to the people. And we need to understand that what John's getting ready to say to us here, not only is it God's word, but God's word is important because it always tells us the truth. That's one of the most important pieces of the word of God is that it always tells us the truth. It tells us the truth about God and who he is. It tells us the truth about us and who we are and how much distance there is between us and him and how we need him. It tells us the truth whether we really like to hear it or not. And that's exactly what John's going to do. And so it says he went around and he started proclaiming in the wilderness. Now, Luke, again, he's using specific language here to give us a tip that John is the fulfillment of an ancient prophecy from the Old Testament, that John is the forerunner of the Messiah, or as Isaiah calls him, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, coming from Isaiah 40, and also we looked at this past summer, Malachi chapter 4, right? The reference is this person is going to come before the Messiah and tell everybody, like, hey, this is him. And it says here that he came proclaiming, what did God say? This memory is God's words. What did he come proclaiming from God? This is a baptism of repentance. Now, baptism is kind of like his defining mark. That's why he got the name John the Baptist. Or like, this is his thing, right? Like, but, but before even John was doing this, the Jews were already familiar with baptism. But before John, baptism was for Gentiles. Baptism is what you did when you were a Gentile. You were not a Jew, but you wanted to become part of Judaism. You would come and profess faith in Yahweh, and you would be baptized to cleanse you of all your Gentile sin so you could become a Jewish believer. But now John's saying, no, 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 it's not just for them. It's for all of us. He's preaching to the Jews. He says, you too need to be baptized. You too need a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. They needed to be washed clean of their sin just like everyone else. That would have been extremely offensive to the Jewish people, comparing them to these Gentiles who were not from Abraham, not from the people of God. But John tells them the truth, that they're sinners, that they need real forgiveness through the coming Messiah. And baptism was a sign of that. And so repentance becomes the key message of John's preaching for his entire ministry, right? And again, we said this earlier, repentance is a change of mind, that leads to a change of direction. Think about that. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. It's my mind changing to understand who God is and who I am, and then changing my direction to go towards him instead of away from him in sin. This is repentance. And that's what John was offering them. That's what he was calling them to with repentance before God. And then Luke goes into the depth here to quote Isaiah the prophet from Isaiah 40 to give us an understanding, a better understanding of exactly what does repentance look like? What does that mean? And so he starts to quote there in Scripture. He says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. So that's John, right? We just established that. And here's what he's crying. He says, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now to us, that just sounds like a cute little saying, but back then, that was a word picture for these people. Because they knew that anytime a king 
was coming to a new area or a king was coming to a new town, there was an advanced team, right? There was a team that would go before him and make the path, make the road straight for the king. They would get rid of any trees, they would get rid of any rocks, they would move things, they would change the road, they would do whatever it takes to make the road as easy and clean and straight for the king to get where he needed to go so there wouldn't be any interruptions. That's the picture that, that Isaiah is giving the people, right? And that Luke is using here to talk about the Messiah king. The king was coming. John knew the, the Messiah king was coming, and he was sent to prepare the way to make the path straight for his arrival. But we're not talking about a physical path for the Messiah. We're talking about a spiritual path. He wasn't changing trees and rocks. He was changing people's hearts to prepare their hearts to receive the Messiah. And he describes it with four pictures. Four pictures of a repentant heart here in making the path straight. First he says, the valleys shall be filled up. The valleys depict depict the great sin, the great depth of our sin and our need to be raised up out of our sin to the Lord. The valleys will be raised up. He also says that the mountains shall be made low. The mountains depict our exalted opinions of ourself and our great pride that needs to be knocked down and brought low before God. The crooked shall become straight, he says, representing our wickedness our corrupt hearts, our sinful bent that needs to be straightened out and set back to the Lord. And then lastly, he says, the rough places shall become level. The rough, pla- rough places represent the hard circumstances of our lives. The things where we have been victims of other people's sin or victims of just a broken world and sin coming in on us because oftentimes when we're sinned against, we then return and respond in sin ourselves. And that needs to be made level, he says. You see, the circumstances in our life, they're real. I don't want to discount that. Many of us have went through some really hard things. There have been sins against us that have cut deep. And the circumstances are real, but they don't rationalize our sin. My past can explain my sin, but it never excuses my sin. The rough places still have to be made level. It needs to be redeemed. Just like every other part of my heart, it needs to be redeemed. So repentance. So how is this possible? I mean, that's like some mountains moving, valleys moving. Like, like, that's some big changes. How is it possible that our hearts and our minds can change in such radical ways? He tells us with the last statement. Look what he says. By seeing the salvation of God. You see, we have to always remember, salvation is God's work. He does these things. Only God can change our hearts in such radical ways. We can't do this on our own. We can't make these kind of changes on our own. Some of us have tried and failed miserably. Because only God can do this. We must believe 
and repent and let God do the rest. Let him change our hearts to a posture of repentance. See, John's telling them like Jesus had come to save them, but in order for it to work, they had to see him and they had to receive him through repentance. And the same is true for all of us today. Salvation is here. It's here. Now. But you must believe and repent to receive it. We have three daughters, and um, one of our daughters is a very high achiever, perfectionist, type A. Like, I, don't, I don't know where she gets that from, but that's who she is, all right? And so... But what that means is that she's oftentimes determined to do it herself. Right? Like, whatever it is, it doesn't even matter. Whatever it is, like, I'm going to do it myself. I'm, I can do this. I can get this done. She's going to labor over it. She's going to work hard to do it on her own. But as we know, there's oftentimes things that we can't do, especially when we're a child. Certain things we just can't do. No matter how hard we work, we just can't get it done. And she knows, we've had this conversation, she knows that I can help her with that. And that I'm willing to help her, that I'm, I'm, I'm eager to help her with those things. But in order for her to get the help, she has to turn and ask. I'm not going to force my way in. She has to turn and ask for the help. She has to admit that she needs help and look to the one who will gladly help her. And God does the same thing with us. He's right here. He's able to help. He's willing to help. He's eager to help deliver you from your sin and from this brokenness that you're living in. But first you have to turn and see and receive his help. Believe and repent, and Jesus will save you. He will. story keeps going. Look at verse 6 again. We'll pick up there. It says, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That's the message. And then John starts to explain it to the people. Look, it says, he said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that therefore does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. Point number two, repent of your sin because you can't save yourselves. Repent of your sin because you can't save yourselves. That's what John's telling the people right here, right? First he says, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Remember, salvation is a gift. 
It's a gift from God to all who believe in Jesus and repent. It's his gift. Only he can grant it to us. We can't get it on our own. We can never achieve it. We can never earn it. And so John fleshes that out further for the people right here. Now, it says, interestingly here, it says the crowds came to him to be baptized. So he's way out in the wilderness doing his thing, and people are flocking out into the desert from the cities to hear this crazy guy, right? Which makes me think, why would they do that? John's message was not a feel-good message, right? It wasn't a popular message with the people, right? He was like, you're a sinner, repent. That's all he was saying. And people were like, oh yeah, I want to hear that, right? Like, no, like this wasn't, this shouldn't have been something that they were coming to him for. So why were they coming? I think there's two things. One, I think they were feeling conviction of the Holy Spirit. I think God was moving through his word to convict and draw people to himself. He does that. But we also get a hint here from the way that John responds. Secondly, they were coming because they thought they had found an easy solution. Like, oh, okay, we're sinners. All we gotta do is be baptized, right? Right, he just says, be, like, we just gotta go out and get dunked. Then we're all good. John, when they come to be baptized, he doesn't respond like we might expect him to respond. Right? Again, he's out in the middle of the woods, he's out in the middle of nowhere, like, doing his thing, and all these people start coming, like, that'd be easy to be like, all right, great, man, people are coming, yeah, start baptizing, like, whatever it takes, man, get them dunked in here, right? As long as people keep coming, shoot some video, put this on TikTok, like, we're gonna get big here, right? Like, like it would've been easy for him to, like, want that fame and get people to come just by baptizing them. But he doesn't do that. He turns and he calls them a brood of vipers. And in case you're wondering what that looks like, it looks like this. Yeah. Some of you are totally freaking out right now. You're like, I hate that. I hate the look of that, right? You're squir- I literally see you squirming in your seat. Did you know that snakes are the number one fear of Americans? Top of the list, have been for decades. Most of us can't stand them. We want nothing to do with them. We want to get as far away from them as possible. And the picture here, the picture here that God, that John is using is that God resists sin and he resists sinners the same way that we resist snakes. Nothing to do with it, right? That's what John's telling, like, you're sinners and God wants nothing to do with you as long as you're in this state, He's resisting you. He goes on. All right, you can get off that now. Some people are had enough. But look how he says, look what he says next. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? In other words, who told you that baptism would save you? Who told you that this was, I, I didn't say that. He's like, that's not, baptism isn't enough. That's not what saves anybody. He says, who told you that? He says, instead, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You really want to come to the Lord? You really want to be saved? Bear fruit of repentance, he says. That's what it takes. That's the real evidence of faith, a change of heart that leads to a change of direction. Baptism won't cut it. There has to be repentance. So there's an important lesson for us in that still today. 
Baptism nor any other religious ritual will save you. Baptism nor any other religious ritual will save you. Not baptism, not communion, not giving, not serving, not church attendance, not repeating some rote prayers. None of that is enough. Salvation only comes through belief and repentance. But John's not done with them yet. He says also, and do not say we have Abraham as our father. Now that's like a shorthand code for them that maybe we don't understand at first, but you have to understand here that the Jews, they thought, they thought, the Jews thought they were saved simply because they came from Abraham. Because they were part of that family line. And because of Abraham's righteousness in the past, that that then got passed on to them and they were good. But John says, that gets you nothing. Being a part of some family line gets you nothing. God can take rocks and make them part of Abraham's family. It doesn't even matter. Access to God's family doesn't come through the physical. It comes through the spiritual. It's about your heart and your mind being given over to the Lord. It comes through giving Him your entire life. And so again, the lesson here for us today is that no family or religious background can save you. No family or religious background can save you. You can't get in on your parents' faith. You can't get in on your grandparents' faith. None of that's going to work. You can't get in on some spiritual legacy that's been passed on to you. You can't get in by belonging to this denomination or that denomination. None of that matters. Salvation is personal. You must believe and repent. You must believe and repent. That's the only path. And then he gives him one more picture here. He says, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. In other words, claiming to be a tree doesn't make you a tree. Right? Believing that you're a tree doesn't prove that you're a tree. The only proof that you are a tree is that you bear fruit like a tree. And any tree that doesn't bear fruit, what's he say? It's going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, confession is not enough. Claiming to be a Christian without actually following Christ doesn't count. This one might apply to the American church more than any of the others. Simply confessing Jesus Christ with my mouth without following him with my heart and my life gets me nothing. That's not salvation. That's not repentance. A claim to follow Christ without bearing fruit. A changed mind that leads to a change of direction. Bearing fruit in my life. Without that, it is false and it still leads to death and to hell. 
So merely confessing sin or claiming Christ cannot save you. There are lots of people who will say, yeah, I'm a sinner. And they'll even say, yeah, I believe that Jesus was, uh, was God or was a man or all these things. They'll say, I understand that. I heard that in Sunday school class. I heard that in VBS. My mom says that to me all the time. That doesn't count. That doesn't matter. The devil believes that Jesus was real, but he's not saved because he hasn't repented. He hasn't turned his mind and his heart to the Lord and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Confession is the first step towards salvation. But it's not enough by itself. First we confess, then we have to repent and believe in Jesus to save us. So the people, they hear John, and they start to get it. They, they, they finally start to click. Okay, there's more to this than we thought. And so they ask the logical question, what? What then shall we do? Like, just tell us, John. Just tell us how to repent, and we'll do it. And he gives them some really practical examples. Look what he says. He says, share your clothing and your food with others in need. He says, don't steal from other people. And don't abuse your power or your position with others. Now, it would be easy for us to take those examples and be like, okay, I'll just do those good moral things, and then I'm, I'm a good person, and I get in. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's doing is he's poking holes in the idols of their heart. You notice he hits all the major idols in that list right there? Right? Material things, the comfort of food and drink, money, power, all the same idols that have existed from the beginning of time and that still plague us today. He points out all of them. He says repentance is turning away from those idols and turning towards God. Changing your mind and your heart to love God more than you love these things. And then the fruit of repentance will come out of you as you live this way. The fruit of repentance is not repentance itself, but it does show that you have repentance in your heart and your mind. We can never manufacture repentance on our own. Our hearts and our minds just won't go this way by ourselves. It has to be something that the Lord does in us and through us as we believe in him and turn to him and he creates in us a heart of repentance that leads to fruit in our lives. Believe and repent, and God will bring the fruit. Believe and repent first, and then God will bring the fruit. You don't have to figure out the fruit first. You don't have to fix your life. You don't have to get everything right, just perfect, before you come to Jesus. You come first. And you believe and you repent, and then God bears the fruit. Look at the end of the story, verse 15. It says, As people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, 
the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, that's a whole other story, and for the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. All right, so we're, that's just telling you, the, he, didn't, he didn't lock him up right now, that's the end of the story, he's just kind of giving you a little like preview of what's coming. But right here, what you need to see from John is this, repent of your sin, because eternity is real. Eternity is real. So people come up and they start questioning, like, man, John really feels like, seems like he's got, he knows what's going on here. He's got stuff together. Maybe he's the Christ. Maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's the one we've been waiting for, which John immediately and emphatically says, no. No way, that's not me. <laughs> he's way mightier than I. I'm not even fit to untie his sandal, John says, right? Which was the, the role that was given to the lowest servant, He's like, I'm not even worthy to be the lowest servant to him. He says, I baptize you with water, which is just a symbol of the greater baptism that is coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John here, he's speaking of this future baptism that's far beyond him. John's baptism is physical, but Jesus' baptism will be spiritual. The Holy Spirit will baptize their hearts into new life with God. John's baptism is with water for cleansing, but Jesus' baptism, he says, will be with fire. The fire of judgment. The fire that will purify the hearts of those who believe and burn up the hearts of those who do not. It goes both ways, depending on how you respond. And then John gives this second picture of Jesus. He says that he's a farmer, and that he's threshing his grain. Now, I've never threshed grain before. I'm guessing many of you have not either. But the picture here is of a farmer with all of the, the wheat, the grain has already been cut and is sitting in a pile and he brings in his winnowing fork, the tool he would use to sort it out. And he would sort it out and he would get all the good grain over here and he would get all the chaff, just the extra worthless stuff over here. And it says that he's going to use his winnowing fork to separate the wheat and the chaff, the true believers and the false confessors. And he's going to gather the wheat the true believers, those who believe and repent into his barn, into his kingdom, into his presence for all eternity. That's the reward of believing in Jesus. That's the reward of repentance. is eternity with God. He says, but the chaff, those who do not believe and do not repent, he will cast into unquenchable fire to suffer the punishment for their sin. For all eternity. John's trying to warn them. It's like the time is now. He's here. He has come. 
And your eternity will be decided on whether you believe and repent in Jesus or not. And then it says, with many exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. You're like, Mike, I just heard what you said. That doesn't sound like very good news to me. (laughs) That sounds like really scary, horrible, frightful news, actually. But it is. It is good news. Because although judgment is coming, there's also a path to salvation. That God has opened up a way for all of us to be saved. But it only comes through repentance. Yes, in our natural state, we are headed for death. We are headed for unquenchable fire. But Jesus, if we'll believe and repent in Jesus, we can be saved. And so the path of salvation can only be walked through repentance. So I just ask, have you done that yet? If you're here today, have you, have you believed in Jesus and repented of your sin? That last part matters. And if you have not, will you do that today? Because as John said, the time is now. He is here. Will you turn away from the idols of your life and change direction and turn to Jesus and turn to God the Father and let him save you through the cross? Your first step of repentance, your first step towards salvation can be right here, right now, in this place. Believe and repent. Now there's many of you in here who have already done that. You're already a believer today. Praise the Lord for that. But this still applies for us as well. You see, the whole Christian life is a life of repentance. Because we still sin. And we still mess up. And we still turn away from the Lord. And every time that we do, we have to turn back to God and repent again. We have to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Are you doing that? Christian, on a daily basis in your life, are you bearing fruit with keeping with repentance? If you're not, I want to ask you to repent again today. Will you repent afresh and let the Holy Spirit come and fill you once again and change your mind and change your direction back towards the Lord today. So here's how we're going to end our final moments together. In a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song. But more importantly, we're going to repent. I want to open up the front here. The front of the stage is going to be an altar today. If God's pressing on your heart right now, if there's some area, something in your life that you need to repent of, man, come. Come down, kneel before the Lord, humble yourself before God, and repent, and let him do something fresh in your heart today. 
If you have questions about that, if you need help with that, I'm going to be standing right here in the front. I'd be happy to pray with you. I'd be happy to talk with you. If you need salvation, come. Come and repent and receive Jesus today. If you just need a fresh filling of God's grace to cover the sin of your life, come and repent. Let him do it for you today. The time is now. Believe and repent. Stand with me.